Hey fam, what's up? This is part two of the two-part episode. Enjoy. Check out this article that I uh, sent. This one is not actually from a Black History Month. It's from March 2021. But when I was reading the Black History Month articles, the algorithm kept recommending other Black New York Times articles. Because New York Times has been really, really overdoing the Black articles. And they're all fucking terrible. But uh, I want to give a laundry list before we sign off. But this one was worth describing in depth. It's called The Black Nerds Redefining the Culture. By pushing back against centuries-old stereotypes, a historically overlooked community is claiming space it was long denied. There's the word space. This one, I think, hit the bingo card like two times over. I think it almost got everything on, on this one. Three big things all these people's articles always do. First, is always whining about how this white space um, wouldn't let the poor blackies play. I, I called it uh, <laughs> Rudolph articles. You, you know, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer is like, yeah. all of the other reindeers uh, wouldn't let him play the reindeer games or however that thing goes. It's like <laughs> the reindeer games. Like, Rudolph couldn't play the reindeer games. Like, like, like Blackie couldn't do cosplay. Blackie couldn't uh, go to the comics convention and be accepted. Uh, Blackie couldn't go to the, re- to the Renaissance Fair. It's always... These um, reindeer games articles, like, you know, yeah. uh, and this is one of them, but, you know, and it makes like real oppression. Like you weren't able to go, uh, you played Dungeons and Dragons and there, w- there wasn't any black uh, figures or something. This is very weird. So this article is supposed to be about being a nerd. And then um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to jump around. But uh, Omar Holman was in high school when his mother sat him down for the talk. I thought. We were having to talk about being black in America, he recalls. Oh, no, you already know know that, she told him. I'm talking about you being such a big nerd. And then <laughs> and then uh, he talks about having Daredevil and Green Lantern comics and watching Daria and Samurai Jack and playing Mario Kart. And his mother feared her son would never find a date. And none of that is really that niche. Like reading Daredevil and Green Lantern comics, and first off, this stuff is so mainstream. Like everybody watches superhero stuff now. It's but but anyway, um, two decades later, Holman, now 36 and based in Brooklyn, is happily married and the co-founder, along with William Evans, 41, of the website Black Nerd Problems. And this is one of those like kind of blue check shilling websites. And it's just an ad for this guy's website. Like I feel like I got a feeling like this guy is friends with the author. It's a bunch of name dropping of people. And I'm going to go through what this article talks about and how all over the place it is. The pair are part of a new generation of black nerds or blurds, as it's sometimes styled. Critics and creators, social, social influencers and scholars, artists and activists who are shifting the culture in the years following the election of Barack Obama, America's first black and blurred president. By centering unexpected stories of black characters. And it's like, okay, black nerds have been around forever. I don't know why you're counting Barack Obama as the start. But also, how is Barack Obama like a blurred? You don't explain. I don't get it. Yeah. But they mentioned Jordan Peele, Get Out, Us, The Twilight Zone, Ava DuVernay, Octavia Butler. The f- this is stuff that th- these are links in the article. Like these are hyperlinks. This is full of links to barely related stuff. Like this person just collected a bunch of links. The Falcon, The Winter Soldier, director Ryan Coogler, the movie Black Panther, HBO's Watchmen, 
Lovecraft Country, it lists all that stuff and it says, the blurred movement seems to have only just begun. And it goes, being black and nerdy hasn't always been so glamorous. And then it tells stories about black comic book fans being followed through stores by white comic store owners. At Comic-Con, black cosplayers are sometimes chastised by officious gatekeepers told that their chosen characters aren't supposed to be black. More ominously, black gamers hear the N-word hurled casually during online sessions and sometimes find themselves targeted for attack when revealed or presumed to be black. In addition to these outside pressures, they um, get accused of trying to be part of white spaces and get ridiculed for acting white. And it's like, they're trying to make it sound like this is some real oppression that these people are facing. Like, okay, whatever. So the tension is this. Black nerds unsettled the myth of a monolithic blackness. And in American imagination, that's historically stereotyped black people as alternately ignorant and emotional or sexualized and cool. The nerd, smart and cerebral, unsexy, unsexy and decidedly uncool, creates cognitive dissonance. Not only do black nerds confound racist stereotypes, they also pierce the protective orthodoxy of blackness passed down the United States across generations. Under slavery and Jim Crow, Black people maintaining, or at least projecting, unity proved a necessary protective practice. So he's doing the same thing he did in the Soul Food article. Oh, my God. Tying it into slavery and Jim Crow, being a Black nerd. It's like when you're dancing for leader, liberty and freedom with Uggs or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Or like or, or like that uh, electric slide for, for, for freedom. That, That's what I was talking about, yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, with the Uggs, exactly. Uh, under slavery and Jim Crow, uh, Black people maintaining or at least projecting unity provided a necessary protective practice. Strength came in numbers as did political influence and economic clout. What would happen if we all announced publicly that we were going to start doing our own human thing without regard to the group? Few considered it worth the risk to find out. So, so blurs are somehow... Actually, I don't know what this is trying to say. Um, they're revolutionaries. What are you talking about? It's clear. I, I guess it's what it's, it's like clearly what they're saying. They're saying that they are revolutionaries. They are doing things different than other black people because they're amazing and they're pushing back on all the stereotypes of what people think blackness is by being engulfed in nerd shit. Yeah, I know. And then it's he does just, the does a historical. Uh, you know when you do what I was talking before when you do the the fake history lesson has nothing to do with anything. So it says. Um, Stated in the word nerd, and it conjures Coke bottle glasses and pocket protectors, the kind worn by studious and socially awkward white guys. And they are almost always white and nearly always guys. So again, they're doing the gatekeeping thing. Like uh, white men kept us out of being nerds as if that's something people wanted to be. It's like, it was an insult. Like no one was uh, doing it because they wanted to keep nerdiness all to themselves. But uh, the bullied in 1980s cult classic films. Think Robert Carradine's Louis Skolnick from Revenge of the Nerds, 1984, and Crispin McGlover's George McFly from Back to the Future. People know what a nerd is. You don't have to explain the history of... Oh, this whole article is fucking stupid. Oh, it's so uh, stupid. And it's, I'm looking at even like the pictures, like they have people here, like I don't know if they realize, but um, Michelle Nichols and Jaleel White are actors. Like <laughs> yeah, they're not, actual nerds. <laughs> they're not revolutionaries for nerdum, you know. And yeah. she she played basically. I don't, I don't remember was she. She's a lieutenant. She just played a lieutenant in a sci-fi show. She's not a representation of you weirdos. For she one thing, even, she's hot. So yeah, <laughs> she's, she's hot. She's hot. She's, <laughs> and she wasn't playing a nerd. Like her right. character, she wasn't a piece of fiction. That's it. 
everything here is so loosely related. Like they're just reaching for anything. So she acted in a show that nerds liked. So they, they threw her in there. Right. Exactly. Uh, it gets even better. I'm going to jump ahead. It says, uh, now there's nerd 2.0. Sneakerheads are nerds now. So are cannabis connoisseurs. Nerd is not an othering anymore. It's a spectrum. Okay, what does that have to do with the black nerd thing? I, I have no idea. You they think nerd. Up. They think being a nerd is an ethnic group. Like, what are they talking it, about? Well, you know what? I think with intersectionality, right, and identities, and with with intersectionality, the more identities you have, the better or right you have to talk. So, I think what people start doing is they start inventing oppressed identities so they can add them. So now it's like, hey, um, you're black. Well, I'm black and a woman oh yeah well i'm i'm a black woman and queer and trans it's like fuck well you know what i'm black woman queer trans and uh i'm a nerd and it's like fuck you know and, and just keep trying to add so it's like yeah they try to make anything they can into an oppressed group so they can just add it to the to their list and and trump everybody else so yeah so now nerd and, and we had a, we had a story about how white people uh, we had an episode very early on about how white people are trying to turn nerd into an oppressed group, you know, so they can pretend to be oppressed. But it's funny that you have black people doing it now, now as well. Uh, he talks about the most famous fictional black nerd, Steve Urkel, is decidedly nerd 1.0, but um, reprised his role in 2021, however, and you'd likely fill it with a nerd 2.0, perhaps a young Questlove or a teenage David Diggs. Um, How is Questlove a nerd? I mean... I guess he's a nerd in that he's a, a he's, he loves a lot about music, but he's a music more, snob. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a geek. That's the whole other thing. I feel like geek is different than nerd. Geek is like if you know a lot about a particular topic, maybe, but it's something you geek out over. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. I geek out over old movies and shit, you know? I mean, this, yeah, this whole thing is very incoherent. And as usual with the checklist, right? This is a great paragraph. They bring up Easter Ray. When they brought up Easter Ray, I find that <laughs> weird because I'm like, Easter Ray does not pretend to be into Star Trek, into Harry Potter or anything. She's just awkward. But they're talking about nerd being a nerd as far as being into, you know, so-called nerd stuff like comic books and sci-fi and everything. So, so I'm like, why is she a nerd? So I said, let me read the article. So listen to these articles. Listen to this paragraph. It's pretty good. Better yet, think of Issa Rae, the 36-year-old actress, writer, and producer behind the H- hit HBO series Insecure whose fifth and final season will air later this year. The protagonist, Issa, Ray shares a name with her character, seems like a blurred avatar, a Stanford graduate working at a nonprofit in her hometown of Los Angeles, who is at once awkward, quirky, and cool. However, when asked by a journalist if she saw from the Atlantic in 2018, if she saw her character as the natural blurred evolution from Urkel, which already is a dumb question to ask, because what does they have to do with Urkel? Ray pushed back. I never identified my character as nerdy because the classic cultural nerd, the gamer, the Star Wars, the sci-fi, or Lord of the, Lord of the Rings geek, just never interested me, she said. Instead, she sought to explore the in-between of Black characters, the complexity and peculiarity often denied by the polarized perspective on Black people as cool or corny. Ray's reluctance to accept the blurred designation for herself or her character doesn't stop blurs from embracing her and her show so basically you said well, she does this job low-key she just dissed you and the second <laughs> thing is what if what's the point of this paragraph you just basically said better yet think of Issa ray give this whole speech about her then said 
who doesn't identify as a blur. So why the fuck did you talk about it? What was the point? Like, well, on top of that, it's like she just wrote a character, and that's kind of what she just described, like how yeah. you write a character. And because she said, I mean, from what I got, it's not like she was saying there are these binaries that exist when it comes to black characters in television. I wanted to create something different. And that's a blend of both or a blend of a sort of a, a character who's not the coolest, but also isn't the corniest. That's what it sounds like to me, which yeah. it sounds like how you write a character. It doesn't sound like anything no, special. No, <laughs> totally. And she, and she didn't say that she was a nerd and she didn't even say her character was a nerd, but because right. you have to just, you're doing the checklist writing, you have to put her in there, you know, like you have to yeah. put Lisa Ray in there. So this threw her in there just only to say um, that she has nothing to do with it. And they then, name a lot of people. They name Jessica Williams. And I'm just like... That's the way that they write. They just try to throw in every... I don't know if they're trying to go for a search engine. Like, maybe they're hoping if anybody much, searches for these people, they'll come up upon our article. But they always just throw in every single tangentially related term but how, they can outcasted are are they if you're able to write a long ass article naming like a hundred of them um naming a hundred of them and that are popular and big that are popular and, and some of them who aren't even nerds nerds right like yeah. well, i don't i'm totally lost there's a sentence here i'm kind of i don't i forgot i can't find the Issa ray paragraph no more this article is so long it's very really um, long for no reason <laughs> there's a section that cracks me up um, it says M- Mika Burton, who I didn't know who that is. I still don't know who it is. Mika Burton is a nerd Renaissance woman and esports oh, host. That means if you don't know who it is, that means it's their friend. Got it. Uh, but I also do don't, I don't know people. Yeah. But I also don't know people, so <laughs> I don't <laughs> remember people's names. I I talk to niggas every day on Twitter. Don't know who they are, so don't listen to me. Something I do but, whenever I don't recognize somebody's name in one of these articles, I find the author's Twitter account and then. I find the person's Twitter account and I search both their names to see if they talk to each other on Twitter. Uh, they almost invariably do. They're, they're always people who just kiki with each other on Twitter all day long. And then when one of them writes their article, they just put all their Twitter friends into the article. That's good. I'm going to start doing that. That's actually a good idea. I started researching shit based off people say some shit. Like people act a certain way. And like, for example, this girl was rude to me and other people for no fucking reason. Like just started flipping out because she said that she was black and Ethiopian. So for clarity, people were like, oh, sorry, you saying you're African-American, Ethiopian? She was like, leave me alone. And I'm just like, damn, nigga, just add. You know who brought it up? Yeah, I was just like, trying to say what you meant. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's a pretty good thing to clarify with people when you say black and Ethiopian. Because I wasn't sure if you were saying black American and, and Ethiopian or if you were saying Ethiopians aren't black. I wasn't sure. So I, I searched her thing and I searched, I searched the word rude in her thing. Because I wanted to see, I bet she's one of the motherfuckers that complain about people on Twitter being rude and she don't know she rude. So I yeah. Googled it. And of course, she has a very specific tweet saying, I don't understand people who are rude for no reason. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but anyway, in this article, uh, this, this it says, Mika Burton is a nerd renaissance woman, an esports host, cosplay model, anime aficionado, and Dungeons and Dragons player. She's also a fluent... She's also fluent in Elvish, a constructed oh, language J.R.R. Tolkien introduced in his Middle Earth books, which she put on display earlier this year during her appearance on Narrative Telephone, a web series developed during the pandemic by a collective of gamers called Critical Role. So anyway, so she's into loser shit. I don't know. Learning a whole new language that's not even real is kind of loserish. Yeah, you guys should learn a real language. Like, like, why would you do that? Right. It's because you're a loser. Anyway, so it says here, Burton 26. I'm skipping down to the next paragraph. Burton 26 and based in Los Angeles. I don't, I'm guessing that she's not from Los Angeles. Um, is not a blurred, she tells me, but a nerd who happens to be black. 
So this thing's contradicting itself left and right. And, Yo. And, and I'm sure it doesn't bother to unpack that, right? I'm sure it just keeps moving on. Because the word blurred is clearly about conflating the two, like your blackness and your nerdum. And she's like, no, I'm a nerd who happens to be black. It's like when actors are... Because it's like what actors do, you know. I'm I'm an actor who happens to be black. I'm not a black actor, you know. They say that mm. shit. It's the same type of shit. It's just like it doesn't make any sense in real life, but it's their way of making them feel like they're a part of something bigger than being black. And that's why I thought that sentence was so funny. She does all this nerd shit, but she's but she's saying she doesn't even like the term blurred. Like she doesn't identify as a blurred. But you're putting her in your article about blurs. And and do you at least? challenge what she said or expand on it no you probably just put the quote in there and just moved on to the next person that you need to plug like he's just full of a bunch of people that he's just plugging the girl from the online community black girl nerds uh the guy who founded blurred.com the person who inspired the website the nerds of color.org uh yo uh, you know what's so funny somebody added me to Somebody, I think I'm in a blurred group on Facebook. I don't even know how I ended up in that shit. Somebody added me. People be adding me to groups for no reason. So let me see if I can figure out what group it is. But yeah, they have blurred groups. I wouldn't be surprised if that group is mentioned in this article. Like he mentions, like he's just plugging people's website. One thing I'll say is good about these people. They're good at promoting each other. Like I feel like people in our corner of like, you know, the black internet should be better at that. Like, you know, if one of us writes an article, just mention 50 of the other people. I mean, it's a horrible way to write. But these people, I mean, they they're good at getting that's the only thing they're good at is uh, promoting each other. And yeah. this thing is full of this has to have like 40 just randos from Twitter <laughs> just sponsored I mean, sprinkled through this, uh, you know, promoting these other people with no actual coherent narrative with them. They're all contradicting each other. They're tangentially related. They have nothing to do with each other. And putting them in the same sentence, this is what they're trying to do with, this, with these type of articles. They do two things. They mention all their friends, but also tie in and link to other people to almost make themselves and their friends sound more famous. So now it's like, okay, according to this, uh, the people behind Blurred.com or Blurred's R Us or whatever these sites are, are in the same breath as Octavia Butler, Barack Obama, Jordan Peele, Ryan Coogler, Ava DuVernay. <laughs> so in a way, they're all You mean people making... who actually do and create things? Yeah, exactly. It makes it sound <laughs> like they're in the same uh, breath as them. And um, and even if you're not actually a blurred, like Issa Rae, Issa Rae's popular, so let's uh, hang our, hitch our wagon to her train. But here is the best, best paragraph in this whole thing. And again, you know, I was talking about the fake history lesson that they always throw in that makes no sense and jumps all over the place. This one has a lot of jumping. And see if you can find this sentence. I mean, this paragraph, a brief history of black nerds dates back to before the Revolutionary War to Phyllis Wheatley, the young black woman born a slave who was the first person of African descent to publish a collection of English poetry only to have to prove her authorship as well as her knowledge of the works of Homer, Ovid, and Virgil to a panel of, quote, the most respectable characters in Boston, unquote, as the 18 white men described themselves in a note to the public that introduces her poems on various subjects, religious and moral. 1773. So these motherfuckers tied themselves by just watching Marvel movies to fucking Phyllis <laughs> Wheatley, one of the most legendary uh, writers of all time. 
Yes. Play, isn't she writes plays too, right? Um, I know she wrote poetry. Oh, and, maybe just poetry. But she she oh, no, I'm mixing her up with Lorraine Hansberry in my head. Sorry. Yes. She's from 1773 and was born a slave. And right. was the first person of African descent to publish. They they put her with their blurred asses as, you know, they, but the next sentence jumps to 1889. The black nerd also lives in the pages of Charles W. Chestnut, whose short story collection, The Conjure Woman, 1899, reads like a 19th century iteration of Jordan Peele's Get Out, which is, again, ridiculous to tie him to Jordan Peele. They're two different people. Where the resources of Black imagination overcome the sunken place of white myth-making and domination. So you go from Phyllis Wheatley, 1773, Charles W. Chestnut, 1899, then for good measure to ensure people will associate it with you, you tie him into Jordan Peele, because Jordan Peele is easier to tie yourself into, right? And then the next example, and it lives in Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, 1952, whose nameless Black male protagonist is a self-described thinker-tinker writing the story of his life from his underground lair fitted with precisely 1,369 light bulbs. What does that have to do with being a blurred? I don't know. This is, this is a pointless detail that, that the character has 1,369 light bulbs. <laughs> Even the novel's title evokes H.G. Wells' science fiction classic, The Invisible Man, repurposing invisibility as a metaphor for the erasure of Black identity under the racist white gaze. Now, what is the point of bringing up that it has the same title as H.G. Wells? Yeah. There was no need to bring that it. up. All you could have said was that the invisible man uses invisibility as a metaphor for the erasure of black identity under the racist white male gaze. Like you're just throwing in facts to show that you know shit. So, so, so this paragraph, basically, after tying in these blurs, first it names all of them. Like there's like 50 of them linked to in this article, scattershot, mixing them in, in with like David Diggs, Questlove, Issa Rae, um, Jordan Peele, Barack Obama, and then jumps back even further to now say that the original blurs were the slave Phyllis Wheatley, Charles W. Chestnut, the renowned uh, Black author, and Ralph Ellison. So 1773, 1899, 1952. And then the very next paragraph after that talks about um, someone, these kids who like Incredible Hulk comics. So, So you go from mentioning those three to two cousins who like um, Incredible Hulk comics. And then it turns out one of them is now the novelist N.K. Jemison. So you jump from Phyllis Wheatley, 1773, Charles W. Chestnut, 1899, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. Those three are blurred. And now we jump to N.K. Jemison, current science fiction author. Like that is the worst historical narrative I've ever seen. And then... The next paragraph after that says, it's no coincidence that Black creative voices have asserted themselves so powerfully at a time when Black suffering and death have dominated the news. Eric Garner, Elijah McClain, Derek Scott, and George Floyd all cried out, I can't breathe before they were killed at the hands of law enforcement. What does that have to do with anything that came right. before? Nothing. Nothing. It's just people just like to, like you said, they're padding it. This was it was unnecessary unnecessarily long in the first fucking place, you know. So it doesn't mean anything. When you at the halfway point, then it mentions Afrofuturism. Then it mentions yeah, I I can't even finish reading that shit. Is so fucking stupid, man. It mentions Watchmen and Lovecraft Country. 
Then it brings up the 1921 Tulsa massacre. They have to bring it up in every article now, whether it fits or not. <laughs> what does the Tulsa massacre have to do with being a blur? I don't know. Right. Then it goes to the new Negro movement of the 1920s. Like he's going to the past, the future, the past, and all over the place. It's just throwing in everything and it, it can uh, bring up. But I'm, not, I'm still not sure what I'm supposed to be getting from the article. Like, I don't really know what the point is. Uh, the other point than is nerds are revolutionary. Who all their are. <laughs> to go to the site. And to think of them as being more important than they are because they're the new Phyllis Wheatley, the new Barack Obama, and their peers are Jordan Peele. That's the only thing I get out of it. It's just what a giant the, promotional piece. What is a historically overlooked community in regards to being a black nerd? Like, what does that mean? Because it just it just sounds more like you're trying to separate yourself from black people. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's simultaneously trying to separate us from black people, but also trying to root themselves into any extraordinary black person that exists at the same time. And in a way, by doing that, you almost make these historically important black people outliers in and of themselves. Because you're kind of trying to say like their excellence made them uncharacteristic and somehow um, not really black in a way. It's, 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 it's kind of weird. If you're kind of yeah. painting yourself as some kind of outcast that other black people don't appreciate and, and who are treated as not authentically black. Same as the other one tried to say that vegans are being gate kept out of blackness. And then you tie yourself into all these important people. You're kind of saying Phyllis Wheatley was um, uh, an example of some kind of black weirdo that other black people didn't like. And so was Raph Ellison. Instead of showing them as people who were deeply rooted in a tradition of which there were many, many more who we don't know about. You know what I mean? It's Yeah. It, it, I, I want of, us to talk about this Damon Young article. <laughs> You, please, do I take the lead on that one? Because I feel like I've been talking too much. No, nah, I wanted you because I didn't, I couldn't even read the shit. I want you to see me the summary. <laughs> so you know what? This I didn't read this one. This about his teeth. Oh, okay. I didn't read this one, but um, I'll say what the article is about. Yeah. Um, the article is about, and for some reason, this is under the New York Times did a compilation series for Black History Month called "What Is Black Love," and this was one of them. Was it me or my teeth? And Damon Young did a story earlier in 2021 about how COVID had a missing DAP. You know, for people who don't know, DAP is when you give, when Black people give each other a pound or slap five or whatever. And how, uh, because of COVID being isolated, he wasn't able to give DAP. And DAP is an important part of the Black identity. And who are we? We can't DAP each other up. And then it gave the history of DAP and a bunch of typical stuff. This one's about, I guess, Black teeth. That's where I'm confused. Yeah. I mean, this is what it claims. It's supposed to be about um, the opening paragraph is this essay is part of a collaborative project with Black History Continued. We invited readers and renowned writers to respond to the question, what is Black love today? He tells a story about 2006 when he was trying to go on a date with somebody, but um, the date didn't go didn't go well. And then. Uh, he was stalking her social media profile and then the date didn't work out, but they ended up remaining friendly. And then on her profile, she was filling out one of those rapid response questionnaires and there was favorite food, tacos, favorite artist, Aaliyah. And then as he scrolled down, he found the answer for why it didn't work. Deal maker, great smile. Deal breaker, bad teeth. And then he goes into when he was 11 years old, and when he first realized he had bad teeth, how for his whole life, um, you know, his teeth were 
a problem and that he would always worry about when people had to first see his tooth. And then he jokes that he was a toothfish, which is like a catfish, like somebody who you don't realize they have bad teeth till you see them in person because they hide their teeth on the um, on the dating profile. Yeah, the rest of it. I'm sure if it has to do with black love. That's what I was trying to figure out. (laughs) That's like literally the only thing I was trying to figure out. What does this have to do with Black History Month? What does this have to do with blackness? It's not like the nigga is just so conscious about some shit like the rest of us. Nigga, I'd be scared. Like, what if one of my roles pop out from under my girdle? I don't fucking know. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, I mean, who doesn't have so conscious things? I'm, and I'm not saying like my, my brother no, I understand. told me growing up. I used to make fun of my brother. So, you know how you roast your siblings growing up? I would call him a buck tooth beaver. He called me a fatty patty. It was just like, you know, brother, sister <laughs> shit. You know? <laughs> Kids are so funny. How do you think of this? <laughs> what does that even mean, a fatty patty? <laughs> I don't know. But Who's patty? I, I just love kids. Kid insults are so Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny right but as yeah. a kid you know this is how we fought you know you're yeah. a buck beaver my cousin buck she was tall and skinny we call her string bean <laughs> no, whatever at least, at least buck tooth beaver makes sense because a beaver is buck too it's like fatty patty like, I just don't know what it, just, it rhymes, it rhymes. <laughs> that's pretty much it yeah that's the part i'm laughing about because like buck tooth beaver like that's a very specific it's a like fatty patty like, like why not but that's my whole thing like it's we all have things that you know we were made fun of for or people are not going to like us for i I, there's listen my my brother got a beautiful wife right now you know beautiful wife his teeth did he never got braces nothing never fixed nothing (laughs) you know what i mean so has a beautiful wife living a happy life with a beautiful daughter right um your life can go on it's like it's it's like people being obsessed with certain things that to me aren't we make them bigger deals in our head than they actually are. Our he, teeth, our weight, our pimple. Like, <laughs> this is well, maybe that. to answer your question, I'm, I jumped to the end of the article. Okay. I, I, I did control F and I searched for the word black. And I want to see if I could see where he ties it into being black. Oh, you can so, do that on the internet? Let me see. Yeah, oh, yeah. shit. I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, there you go. You, you control F and then you look for uh, words. So oh. I looked for black and here's what he said. And I'm starting the paragraph before. But this is interesting. He, he doesn't even know for sure. That's why she did she dissed him. But this is what he says. And what's weird is, he said they're still friendly. So he could just ask her, I guess. But he goes, there are infinite possible reasons she could have decided that night I was cool enough to be cool with, but not attractive enough to be more with. First dates are when you're supposed to be discerning in particular, which is a nice way of saying petty. And the gap between my front teeth is just one line in that poem. But I also know enough black women interested in black men to know that the symmetrical contrast of straight, bright whites against deep brown skin is a thing. So it makes it seem like it's a very particular black thing to like straight wait, teeth, which is, makes no sense. Wait, say that again. Say that sentence again. Yes, I know it's crazy. So I don't blame you. So I will leave you. <laughs> make sure I heard what you said. Yes, I don't blame you. But I also know enough black women. Like he just had to try it into the, the topic. I got a feeling he already had this article lying around and he just tried to yeah. repurpose it into the black love topic. But I also know enough black women interested in black men to know that the symmetrical contrast of straight, bright whites against deep brown skin is a thing. So he, he may, also ties it into the contrast against the skin, which I don't know about that. But And that meeting a man who doesn't have that thing can be the visual equivalent of the price is right losing horn. And I know that in America, good, strong, bright, straight teeth signal good, strong, bright, straight money. The whiter the teeth, the whiter the credit. An open mouth is a resume, a Carfax, and a FICO score. And this, I know, is a real source of my neuroses. I'm 43. For 35 of those 
years, I existed either below the poverty line or a missed paycheck away from it. I've been broke, Jason, broke, poor. My mouth is a memoir of canceled orthodontist appointments when my parents couldn't afford the premium, of never having two consecutive years of health care as an adult until I got Obamacare in 2014, of shame. That's the tricky one. The shame. I now know that there was nothing to be ashamed of, that doing well while Black in America is the exception, not the norm, and that the exception could change with a, with a coin flip. But then all I wanted was a pantry. A pantry, to me, meant you have extra. Mind you, this has nothing to do with the, the teeth anymore. It's just going all over the place. Not too much, not Jack and Jill money or anything, but just enough to maybe not sweat too hard all the damn time. A pantry also meant good teeth, because why couldn't you have them if you could afford extra ketchups? What? This anxiety ain't new if you're black. We're the world. What? Yeah. Stop. Stop. <laughs> you can stop. <laughs> stop. I can't. No, stop. This is dumb. What? How wait, how do we go from how do wait? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what you're gonna ask. My answer is already I don't know. I, you know how many apartments have pantries? Like what is he talking about? But the fact that having extra ketchup means you have enough money to fix your teeth. Like you ketchup mean is the not that ketchup expensive. you get for free? I don't know. Even the ketchup you pay for, ketchup isn't that expensive. It's like, like a buck. There's a big <laughs> jump between ketchup money and braces money. But you know what? I'm going to jump to... I'm going to jump to... Um, the wait, last. no, but would you... Wait, hold on. This okay, anxiety ain't new if you're black. This What the fuck does it have to do with blackness? I have no idea. This thing, I just feel like was a story that he just needed to tie into being black somehow because someone, somebody in New York Times asked him to do a black love thing. And he just <laughs> said, I have this teeth, I have this teeth story I never finished. Let me just... <laughs> retrofit that into black love the final sentence and the final paragraph of this article is i just have a pantry now invisalign too and that's how the article ends yeah i'm so lost i have no idea what this has to do with blackness i have like he literally just shoehorned that in there because it was super unnecessary i mean i get a cute little article about your teeth and dating okay fine it's a little whiny to me but it is what it is i understand we all feel subconscious i would even hope but I didn't read the whole through the whole article, so I can't judge it too much. But even if when I read stories like that, let's say the mice teeth or whatever it is, good writers are able to take their small example and make it relatable. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so it's not really about teeth. It's about being self-conscious and dating. You get what I'm saying? I'm not getting that from this article. This nigga really hyper-focused on his teeth. Oh, big time. Yeah, it was very weird. And it doesn't do with anything else in the rest of the right. article. It's, it, it's crazy. I mean, are we talking about poverty and health care? Are we talking in dental care? Like, that's a, that's a real conversation we should be having. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's like the other about, article. What was weird about that article? I don't know anything about blackness, but I didn't even learn anything about him, really. Like, I don't even know much about him after reading that article. I, I learned he, don't, he has some issues with his teeth, and now he got Invisalign. And, and, and a pantry. And apparently he w- it was stopping him from getting pussy. I don't know. Like, I'm just, <laughs> but it's just, like, it doesn't make sense. And on top of that, so, he said he had a wife. So it's not like women weren't fucking with him because of his teeth. So I'm so lost oh, on what the oh, fuck wait, he's talking maybe, about. Maybe, I mean, I closed the article and jumped around. Maybe he got the wife after he fixed his teeth. I don't know. Um, I don't want to reopen the article to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't care enough. But, uh, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I, I, just, care. But I, th- but I just thought Whack History Month would not be a good it wouldn't be complete without including that because it was I, I just yeah, couldn't and, and why does that to be that's a great point why does it have to be in black history month like like this is the black history month should be your a game this would be a bad article in like june or any time of year but if you want to talk about 
for if black you want to talk about month. teeth, there's that's what I'm saying. Like there's actual stories you could actually talk about. What about the history of dental care and black people? I'd be down and learn about that. that or black people work. in dentistry. You would have to do research beyond or the what black white people, people that revolutionized dentistry. Yeah. You know, like that, that would be takes work. <laughs> you it's, keep easier that. Just, <laughs> it's easier to just talk about yourself. And to his credit, he didn't work in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, that took a, I, I, I'm surprised he didn't do that because all these articles from now just bring up Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm surprised he didn't say in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there were a lot of black dentists. And maybe if more of them survived, the, the Wall Street, black teeth would have a better history. But um, white people destroyed Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like, Thank goodness he didn't do that. I, I, I had to give credit where somewhere, and I'll, I'll give it there. Um, mm-hmm. here's, a, here's a list of more articles that we're not going to read because there's too many. But... Um, BuzzFeed printed something that was, she's a black teen at a mostly white high school. This is what it's like. And then I looked and there was, no, no that was in Huffington Post. Uh, and then I, I looked, when I was looking for that article, I found so many other articles like that from Black History Months of years past. So on, so in 2015, actually 2014, someone named Heben Nigatu wrote, what it's like being a black student at a mostly white college. So it's like from 2014 to 2022, you know, for about eight years, about every single Black History Month, somebody talks about what it's like being black in a, in a white school. I found like a lot more examples, but that was the earliest one I found. So based on my Google searching, there's been an unbroken streak for the past eight years of every Black History Month. Someone describes what it's like to be black in a, in a white school. So that's another, that's a whack History Month stable. Um, yeah, and I'm sick of that one too. And I'm also sick of black people acting surprised that their black kids are experiencing racism at a white school. Yeah, uh, I found another one that came out from this month: New York Times, February second, two thousand twenty-two. What it's like to be a black student at an elite boarding school. Uh, so I found two from this Black History Month about what it's like to be a black student, and, and it's like we know what it's like. It's, we saw in Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's like it's, it's not it's not new. It's an oldest right. topic in the the next thing anything new about it, it's the same old it's the same old stuff. Um, some other um, Black History Month topics. There was these four BuzzFeed had four up and coming Black filmmakers that are shaping the future of their industry, and it mentions four of them. It's all like Black Lives Matter type of blavity BuzzFeed stuff. Um, one is about a magical HBCU. So it's basically an HBCU version of Harry Potter. So again, black version of something white and popular. The other one is about, um, I'm not sure what the other one's about. One is about the concepts of identity and otherness and what it means to belong, which is kind of a generic thing. And there's one called Policing Joy that tackles the history and stigmatization of black hair in America, which is, I think, a very tired topic so oh my god yeah I mean, yeah i put the one about martin luther king taught me about good hair and black pride oh i didn't see that one i yeah. added that to the list yeah can you give a summary of that one <laughs> <laughs> let me see well i mean it wasn't as bad as the other ones i will say that but essentially she was saying how she didn't learn that her hair was because could be good hair until she saw martin luther king talk and he was talking about his hair being good because it's his hair. But I just kind of felt like 
it was a tired topic. Why are we talking about this on Black History Month? Like there were so many other stories. I'm, I'm, I'm put it like this. As I totally a person, agree. I'll say this. As a person who was at the beginning of the natural hair movement online, and the reason why I say that is because before there was social media the way we have it now, there were these natural hair message boards, and that was where you had to go to get information on how to do your hair without relaxers or, or straightening it. That scene <clears throat> was really good. And I wish someone would do a documentary or a book on it. I mean, it's kind of become terrible like like the natural hair discourse now because these people have latched onto it but that exactly used to be a really positive affirming scene when i used to see people on it yeah and especially in a place like la because we were known as like the weave capital you know i thought it was and really good hair movie i think did a lot of damage uh, as far as like making black women look bad that, that chris rock good hair movie yeah it and was bad it came after that and it was a good corrective to that movie yeah, well, no, no, the good the good hair movie came out during that natural hair movement because I remember they were promoting it in our circles. Mm. And when you went to the premiere, they had uh, the black women who have just launched certain products like Kinky Curly was there at the premiere in um, at the premiere in um, at the Magic Johnson Theater in Crenshaw, in uh, Crenshaw Mall. So okay. I so it was definitely during that time because I wouldn't have gone otherwise. I just I knew about it. It blew up after the good hair movie. After the good hair movie, that's when the whole thing blew up, and that became like a national conversation. And all the news articles started, and news channels started doing stories on black women and their hair. And it was really annoying. I'm not gonna lie to you, because um, the reason why I say that's because when it first started, and you definitely had those. It was like different black women that it was very diverse in the sense that before the natural hair movement were considered people who were like really political. They were doing it to make a statement, that kind of thing. Whereas it kind of grew to, oh, no, I just want to style my hair without using the heat. And so that ended up becoming or using relaxers. And that ended up becoming like the growth of that movement because it was so much information. And then YouTube blew up. So you had all these people. I think you uh, named one of them in our group chat, Kim Tube. She started off as a natural hair. I don't know what she does now, but she was doing natural hair stuff. She had her own conditioner or whatever. And it was beautiful because I had never learned these things. It wasn't, and I didn't know how to access certain products because they didn't have them at at your local beauty supply store. Now, all these beauty supply stores have these black owned products in their stores now. Um, The ones that are still black, some of them are sold to L'Oreal and other companies. But it was such a beautiful movement because I learned so much. I got to meet other black women. I never had the same hangups about my hair that other women had in the sense that um as far as the texture and feeling like I you know I had to straighten it to fit in or I never felt like that ever it was never a thing for me but I did straighten because I didn't know what else to do <laughs> you know I didn't know what else I was supposed to do with it I didn't know what do, doing your hair meant straightening it that's all yeah, I ever but, knew and plus like the way you raised you were probably raised to do all this stuff with straight hair so there's no training and as far as what to do yeah. with natural hair Especially when you're raised by your dad who doesn't know shit about hair. So he Mm. just took you to the shop and dropped you off, (laughs) you know? So it wasn't like I knew anything about how to do my hair. Um, Although funny enough, my dad initially thought I just magically would know at like eight years old, but whatever. I, so that movement was really important. Good hair, however, I think was a problem because it really made us look really bad. Like we were stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't give any context or anything. Yeah. He's he's like, oh, I tried to sell black hair and he's walking around with this weird ass Afro hair that doesn't attach to anything. It's just weird. The whole thing he's making fun of. And then a black lady at the beauty supply store is like, I don't, we don't want that. Nobody wants to look like that. But he's handing her this weird looking wig that doesn't make, it's a horrible looking wig. (laughs) Who wants to buy that? Um, And then he's just kind of like 
making it out like black women just don't love themselves and don't love their hair. And then it has like a whole footage, a whole scene at a barbershop about how, how black men think of it, which is found to be really ironic because one who cares what men think men don't like whatever you do. Like I've, I've learned that, you know, there's a, a lot of shit that you think men are into. They don't really give that much of a fuck about. They really don't. But so number one, who cares? But number two, a lot of what they were saying, it sounded like niggas clowning at the barbershop. It didn't sound like they were trying to have a real conversation. Um, and then it was kind of like they were trying to say, oh, it feels like, the, you know, I don't know. Just, just, the whole thing was awkward and weird. At first, I didn't really think too much of it because I saw it a couple times. The first time I saw it, I think I was just so excited to see a movie about it that it didn't even really hit me how bad it was. So I watched it a second time. I was like, yo, this is actually pretty cringe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really cringe when you, when, when you watch it when you watch it now. It is And he allegedly not... stole it from a black woman too, by the way. That whole idea. Oh wow. Yeah. But at any rate, I just kinda I'm just kinda over the conversation around good hair and hair and weaves and lack of weaves and straightening it, locking it. Do whatever the fuck you want. Cause at this point in this stage in the game in life, I'm not I don't believe that every time a woman wears wigs because she hates herself. You know, I don't yeah. I don't believe that. It's become such a popular style. And on top of that, the other day I was with a, a old one of my old coworkers, she's a white girl about my age. Well, we met up for lunch and she was like, oh, I'm out here. I'm trying to buy some extensions. She wouldn't meet up because we were happen to be in the same area. So I met up with her. this girl is buying all types of extensions and weaves and getting wigs made, half wigs made. And, you know, she just got she has straight hair. <laughs> you know, she's got regular straight hair, but she wanted it longer. She wanted a certain style. She wanted to do she would want to color her hair a certain way. So she bought hair pieces, you know, so. This idea that, you know, this is some sort of way of black women hating themselves. I, I just don't agree with that. I think it's become such a style, such a style thing that that part of it is kind of lost. And on top of that, there's way more women with natural hair now than I saw growing up ever, oh, at least big, in L.A. Big time. Big time. Yeah. Um, and I've been natural since I was 14. I gave up beef and pork and perms <laughs> all, all at the same time. <laughs> one of the bad things, though, is like, I feel like this new uh, crop of like, naturalistas have given like natural hair like a bad name because now when people see someone with like, natural hair they think they're gonna be like on this um like so that, a real ass sister with some real shit to say yeah I know. yeah and it said they'll be like, the people who write these articles <laughs> you know what i'm saying like, yo and it's funny my brother said that once he was like man he didn't like the natural hair movement not not literally but he was just saying how we were joking around he was like i don't like that movement i said why he said because now so back in the day you saw a girl with her natural hair. You knew she was about something. Like you talked to her, you know, she's going to tell you some shit. Oh, that's now, true. That's true. He, now any airhead got a natural. Like it don't mean <laughs> nothing. Anybody. <laughs> now you need like an extra step. Like if they have like some weird uh, hipster nerd glasses with the natural hair, then you know, okay, this person is going to talk about some some nonsense. Like you got to try to look for other context clues. To Yo, to that's so true. That's so serious. That's so real. Because now everybody with an afro don't be saying no real shit. But they have the aesthetics of saying real shit. That's really what it is. So, oh, and I found the name of that podcast that I had helped. It was called Roots for Change. Isn't that a good name? Yeah, that is a really good name. I like the double entendre in that. That's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. We're going to end it with one last list. This is just a, a list of stuff, right? Because <laughs> okay. we can't talk about it anymore. And these are all, each of these articles could be its own horrible uh, episode. But <laughs> first thing you can do is Google Black Cosplay. And one of the things you're going to find, for some reason, I don't know why, but these people have tried to make the right to dress up as Spider-Man like the new Freedom Riders. Like, they try to act like Black cosplay is the forefront of the modern civil rights struggle. There's there's two things, apparently. There's being shot by the cops and dressing up as She-Ra. Like, like those are the two things, somehow, that uh, are equal in weight. Like, But every Black History Month but and all year round, 
they're always talking about these black comic book fans or these black blurs are fighting for the right to uh, do cosplay, which basically means fighting for the right to dress up like white characters. That, that's that's all it that's all it means, you know. And it's because uh, nobody really cares if you dress like Storm and you're black right. or whatever, you know. So they just want just dress, dress up as white characters, and which is fine. I think you should have a right to dress up as whoever you want. I don't care, but don't just make it seem like you're fighting some like you know um, Claudette Colvin Rosa Parks type of you know back of the bus struggle. Like like, you, like you're really not. But so that's one thing. Yeah, some of these concepts are dumb. Senior Spellman Senior, Audra Nicole's animated film about a magical HBCU. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. That's it's basically just an HBCU Harry Potter. (laughs) It's bruh. Yeah. Okay, that's so fucking dumb. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. They they are. I I mean those are the four best up-and-coming filmmakers you could find. I'm sure they're just part of your like black lives matter crew and that's basically it like that's all you care about is that you know i know this this media class is so tribal it's very weird you know um but anyway new york times had this thing called black history continued and the concept of it was uh black history is too big to be captured in just one month so now we're going to do black history all year round. I think it might have started last last Black History Month. I think it started uh, 2021, I think. It's called Black History Continued. This series explores pivotal moments and transformative figures in Black culture. And it talks about, in the early 70s, Toni Morrison and Middleton A. Harris, along with a team of collectors, sought to combine images, artifacts, and documents into one narrative that might somehow capture the depth and the breadth of what has meant to be Black in America. Their master work, The Black Book, published in 1974, included slave auction notices and sheet music for work songs and freedom chants, transcripts from the trials of fugitive slaves, posters from Black Hollywood films in the 1930s and 40s, patents from Black inventors. The entries were heartbreaking, amusing, surprising, and inspiring. Morrison knew then, as we know now, that we are both living in the history we've been handed and shaping the one we will hand off to future generations. In the spirit of the Black Book, Black History Continued is a series that will explore pivotal moments and transformative figures in Black culture. We believe the story part of Black history is vital because just like elements in the periodic table, each story is a building block of possibility. And the reason why I brought that up is to let you know what these people are comparing themselves into. So they're comparing this series to... What I just described, which is uh, Toni Morrison's Black Book, with all that incredible stuff in it. They're saying this is the modern version of that. And I don't know if you have the link open. It's in Yeah, the, I have it open. Okay, cool. So what do you talk about? And this is this is the, the list of it. So they're basically taking these horrible Black History Month type stories and spreading them all year round. So the first one is a record number of Black women run some of the biggest U.S. cities. So it's talking about all like the Black mayors. But it's basically representation, electoral politics. But that's not terrible. Okay, you have... So it's kind of terrible because you got people on here that... Keisha Bottoms and other people who are very problematic. Questionable at the best and problematic the, problematic the lady, at the least. Yeah, <laughs> you know? the lady from Detroit, I always forget her name, Lori... Lightfoot. Uh, Lightfoot, yeah. So basically, this throwing every Black person in politics, whether they're good or not. But compared to the rest of the stuff, is why I say it's not so bad. But a lot of this is our least favorite type of story. The one that was like, 
what I was saying was the reindeer game story about uh, they won't let us into infiltrate this field, you know, but it's like, who gets left out of the great outdoors story? You've heard of Davy Crockett, now meet Lancelot Jones, Sylvia Stark, and other Black outdoor pioneers who can redefine our notion of natural world. So this basically Why not like, just tell us about these niggas? Why do they have to tell us who's Davy left Cro- out? Just yeah. tell us. Just, yeah, just, drop, yeah, just, just tell us. Just talk about these people. Don't, you don't have to frame it in terms of white people wouldn't let us do this. <laughs> we know about Davy Crockett. Well, about, and, and, and the thing that's going to be annoying about it, too. Yo, is, that whitey voice was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what, what all their articles sound like to me. The articles sound like that voice to me. But the other thing is, too, they're only going to mention people that they know now who look and talk like them. They're not going to actually dig into probably anybody as no. far as a deep cut. It's just an excuse to promote their friends again, I'm sure. The next thing but is... But the thing that's so... Well, hold on. I'm sorry. I can't ahead, get over this. This shit really irritates me for multiple reasons. But the main reason is because you have the... Op- it's like... I think I've talked to you guys about this before. When I used to work in hip-hop media, one of my biggest pet peeves is you would see articles every Women's History Month. 20 women rappers you should know. But we don't know them because you niggas never talk about them. So how you got an article, New York Times, people who are left out of the great outdoors story. You guys tell stories. That's what you do. Yeah, exactly. So they left out. It's because y'all left them out. New York Times, you left them out. You don't talk about these niggas any other time. Yep, yep. And if you want to talk about them, like you said, just talk about them. You don't have to frame it in this in this whiny, like, you know, they wouldn't let us play with them. Or, you know, what about us? And the only one, and there's always a recency bias. It's always... Uh, there are six friends that they know on Twitter. It, it always happened to be who they're covering. Uh, the next story, Black gardeners find refuge in the soil. Gardening boomed during the pandemic. Six Black writers share how it helped them reestablish and reimagine a connection to the cultivation and the land. And I actually like, saw that one earlier in the year. And it was basically like the vegan one. It was like tying gardening into slavery and extra stuff. Uh Bringing Black history to life in the great outdoors and talking about Black park rangers. That one, I don't know. That one looks like it might be good. I'll be honest. I didn't open that one. You said the one about Black, which one? The Black uh, gardeners find refuge in the soil? Um, no, the one after that, uh, bringing oh. Black history to life in the great outdoors. I was saying that one might be good. I don't. I didn't open that one. Oh, well, I was hoping this gardening one would be good, but I think my main problem is they're telling me about writers who do gardening. I don't give a fuck about them. We got what about a lot of black people that have been doing gardening forever. I just want to hear about them. Yeah, it's not about them. I read it before. It's just the writers writing about um, themselves, and then they, and then they name drop Instagram accounts like Black Men with Gardens, Black Girls with Gardens. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and then it just you know basically talk about themselves, and it's not it's and you a know, lot of it has that really annoying um, Black Lives Matter writing you were talking about, where they can't just say things straight, and they <laughs> talk about Black joy in gardening and a lot of other uh, Twitter. Yeah, but you know what's interesting? They talk about stuff like this, like they says something. They talk to an author. She says something has shifted and black people have embraced our relationship to agriculture. And she wrote this book called Freedom Farmers, Agricultural Resistance and the Black Freedom Movement, which I'm guessing I don't know anything about this book. But based off the title, it sounds like it's interesting. <clears throat> sounds like it's about the thing we should have been reading about in this fucking article in the first place. But let me guess, uh, they blow right past it. It's she mentions it and then they go on to see Miss White now counts herself as a newly converted pandemic gardener. We have been working for a decade for this moment to be able to rise 
<laughs> what? And she says something tremendous is happening where we're witnessing. So people, so, but the thing that's so interesting is everybody, it wasn't just black people that went to gardening. Like literally everyone who had to be at home found shit to do at home. You know, it's like saying black people have learned how to bake bread because <clears throat> everybody was learning how to bake bread when they thought wasn't going to be no bread in the store. You know, I bet you that, I bet you that story exists. If not, <laughs> if you push it, they'll, it, they'll put it right but the in this thing, but the thing is, there are there are actual ways that gardening has been revolutionary for black people. While here we have a guy out here named as the gangster gardener or the gorilla gardener. And he's an actual activist for food security. He doesn't just garden. He actually uses spaces to make it so people can have access to fruits and vegetables for free. Like he has did his front lawn. You know, I don't know if you guys have this in New York, but like in LA or in a lot of suburbs, they have these that strip of grass that's between the street and the sidewalk. But that you're responsible in front of your house, but you're responsible yes, for it. I know exactly what you mean. But it's- you're responsible for it, but you can't just do whatever you want to it legally, allegedly. But what he would do is he would plant fruits and vegetables for anybody to come get them. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know? nice. Yeah. That would require some type of community connection or some type of research. But these people, they don't go past looking for their friends. So that, that's the problem. Like, <laughs> he's not friends with the people who write these articles. So he's not going to end up on the radar because... Um, Unless white people find out about him, then these people would know about him. But yeah, it's I, I agree with you. Like, a lot of these topics could be interesting, but um, they just write about they're given to the wrong writers. That's yeah, really what exactly. It is. This one sounds like it might be good. Uh, America's oldest park ranger is only her latest chapter, and it's a black woman who is the oldest uh, park ranger. And she's just turned 100. That one looks pretty good. but That sounds actually, interesting. Yeah, but the name looks like it's a white person's name who wrote it. <laughs> I don't know. Let me see. Jennifer Shushushur. Yeah, she, yeah she, she's a yep. white lady. She's yeah. a Caucasian. Yeah, I looked it up. So, so yeah, because these people wouldn't write a story that interesting, unfortunately, because <laughs> they can't promote their friends in it. That's sad, because I would have loved to that for that to have been a black author. No, but no, it's an it's a, it's a older white lady. Uh, when I saw how good the topic was, I was like, I bet you it's not one of these black writers who who wrote it. And nope, it's not one of these types. Uh, black surfers reclaim their place on the waves. A new generation of surfers and activists, again, the oystering and activists, are building on the efforts and achievements of those who came before and carving out a space for themselves. And like you said with the other one, I would rather have them just talk about black surfers and not try to make yeah. it uh, <laughs> we were left out and, you know, what about us? This next yeah. one. And I feel like that's going to come up in the stories naturally without you having to force it. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. You have to foreground it, you know, because because everything black people do is against the backdrop of racism. That's a given, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know? Anything that we that we do is against the backdrop of um, racism. Like right now, I've gotten into yoga and I'm the only black guy, as far as I can tell, in the whole yoga school. Uh, Gus T. Renegade from um, Cows encountered the same thing. There's a handful of black women in there, but I'm the only um, guy. But that's like a given, you know, and I would bring it up if I ever wrote about doing yoga while while doing yoga. But I wouldn't foreground it like we were long kept out of yoga back in slavery. Whenever black people tried to stretch, master would whip him. Like, what are you doing that stretching for? Pick some cotton. you know. (laughs) And it created a systemic fear of stretching among black men. And uh, you know, I stretching for get back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like like oh, I, I wouldn't write it like that. I would just you know, <laughs> I'd write about doing yoga, and I would bring up maybe at some point that guy, 
um, wish there were more black guys in, in yoga, but there's not. And, you know, but yeah, these people. But this that's one, the thing. Okay. You, you could just do that with literally anything. We should do. No, yeah. we should do a series podcasting while black. You know, <laughs> we were. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was reading about how black people were barred from radio stations and stuff like that. We didn't have the radio jobs. OK, well, now look at us. We're powered. The Internet has made it so black people can use their voice. You know, we can and this is exactly what they would do. Like, for example, it's true that black people were kept out of radio, but that doesn't have anything to do with why black people podcast today, but they would try to force it into some kind of narrative. Like black people are podcasting because somehow their radio racism is, you know, uh, the next one is how black foragers find freedom in the natural world. This one I did read uh, last year. It was really bad. Uh, I can't remember exactly why it's bad, but first off the picture of the, of the woman, you can already tell what kind of article is going to be. She looks like bastard crazy. She's just running around frolicking, dressed like Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> she looks nuts. Wait, let me see. I'm trying to go back because I was looking something up. Oh, oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> hell no. Nah. What the fuck is she wearing? Yeah, yeah. She is. She looks uh, crazy. But uh, the article does that history thing, right? Like it takes these people. These people are foraging. Like. This is like one of those weird communities. Like, you know, when hipsters make weird retro communities, like, uh, like Renaissance fairs and axe throwing and like, you know, these type of things. These are like black people who go foraging. Like there's supermarkets now. You don't need to forage, but it's kind of, it's almost like a bougie hobby. I feel like these, a lot of these retro hobbies are just kind of like a way to flex like your middle class. Like, you know, like, um, like, like I have solar panels and stuff like that, or I have a windmill on my property or a chicken right. coop. Like people who are like actually poor can't have a chicken poop coop on their property and stuff like that. So this thing is like, th- there are people who forage for their food. And I think you need a certain amount of free time and resources and whatever to be able to, to do that. So um, this article ties it into the great migration and searching for their sudden roots. and um, you know, foraging went back to the days of Africa and slavery. I don't care. These people aren't doing it because of Africa. They just, it's just some kind of weird bourgeois bohemian, uh, you know, flex. But then as a paragraph, like slave narratives abound with references to tapping honey and finding food. In a 1937 Works Progress Administration interview, which was the old slave narratives, Charles Grandy of Norfolk, Virginia, spoke of his escape during the Civil War and how he subsisted on wild berries for days. Sharecropping and land loss by physical and legal violence followed. By the early 20th century, more southern rural Black people were migrating to cities around the nation. Some swore never to look back or till the land again. That has nothing to do with what why these weirdos are picking berries. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. These are just people. And mind you, we're not saying there's anything wrong with people picking berries. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Pick but, all the berries you want to, but we're not going to act like you are in line with people who are escaping slavery. Like, <laughs> yeah, are you doing it to, um, you know, go back to that and honor them? It's just very, very bizarre. Yeah. yeah. So, that's a very weird article if you ever look if you ever look at it. That that's just a more attention seeking for them. They they get they got it. Let them do what they do. I'm not even gonna trip on them niggas no more. Let them do their thing. And and then then they tie it into um the guy in Central Park who was bird watching, which again doesn't mean anything to do with Stop. foraging, but you know, they, they have to name drop every single uh hot button topic I guess for uh relevance. And then it ends with a picture of a lady frying some leaves. 
It, it does not look appetizing. Yo, Malcolm trying to make being in a pageant some revolutionary thing. Yep, that's that's the next one. You want to read that? You want to read that headline? Yeah. What does it mean to be crowned Miss Juneteenth? For contestants, it's a pageant. Yes, but also a place to celebrate Black sisterhood and promote a deeper understanding of a complex holiday. Y- yep. Yep. Uh, the, the pageant doesn't do any of that shit. And I think they wanted to bring that in because last year white people discovered Juneteenth. So I just wanted a reason to just bring up Juneteenth because now white people have a demand for Juneteenth. Remember last year that that debate about making Juneteenth a holiday and suddenly mm-hmm. all these think pieces came about Juneteenth. They're always looking at, at what aspects of black life white people right. are just discovering. But, but you got niggas who banging the drum with them. Like, first of yep. all, I was fine celebrating Juneteenth. I wasn't really celebrating it because we don't really do that. It's not a big thing in L.A. like it is in, I'm sure, Texas or places near in the South. But in L.A., it's not like a big thing. Like you have little events here and there. I think the biggest one we had was the one during the first one during the first part of the pandemic. Um, because I think niggas was just tired of being in the house. <laughs> to be real with you, that one was huge. But other than that, we don't really have June. I didn't even hear. I didn't even know what Juneteenth was till I was like maybe in college because we didn't really celebrate it. But even then, like once I got to know about it and wanted to participate in certain things, like it never crossed my mind. Like this has to be honored and respected by America or by white people. Like it never crossed my mind. I'm totally okay with us having holidays that they don't know about. Like <laughs> I don't see the and, problem with that. And what's worse is when it does catch on, they'll be the first people complaining about you know the Juneteenth Disney movie and how she's too light-skinned and it's this and that. Like, they want white people to discover everything. Then they complain about how they handle it. And it's like, you can see that coming a million times. Like, why do we need them to discover everything? And we know the track record with it, you know? Um, The next one is exactly what we talked about and what I also said I didn't like. But it says, what the Tulsa race massacre destroyed. And that's by, like, this is an article by, like, 10 niggas. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like a, and an Asian apparently there's a lot um, of people in the article uh, some of these people are definitely not black like for sure there's an Indian there's an Indian name in there too I see an Indian name I see some East Asian name I don't want to get the wrong country so I can say what but I see something else that's questionable but um it says we created a 3D model of Greenwood home of Black Wall Street as it was before a white mob set it on fire 100 years ago. And remember I told you they never talk about the fact that that did not end Tulsa. Yep. That did not end Greenwood. But that's where they end the story all the time. It did not end with this white mob. It says, look, it says the first thing it says when you go there, a century ago, a prosperous black neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, perished at the hands of a violent white mob. And that's not true. Mm. It's not true. Look at it. I can listen. Y'all don't believe me because uh, uh, you hit me up and y'all, those of y'all that are in discord. Cause I think it's by now y'all are the Patreon subscribers. Hit me up on discord. Make sure to tab me. Cause I'll be checking that shit regularly. I will give you the links to show you that it did not end with the massacre. They keep ending the story there. This yeah. town did not perish at the hands of a white mob. It got it perished at the hands of public policy. The same public policies that destroyed every other black community across America. They couldn't burn us all. They couldn't burn down all the black communities. They couldn't burn them all down. Nope, so, nope. so they created policies so they could just run freeways through your shit. Uh, um, do you want to read the next article? Because I feel like uh, you were talking about this topic 10 minutes ago. So you might as well read the next one too. <laughs> I just saw (laughs) the joy of black hair at the end of the last century advances in weaves, wigs and other innovations allow for a new degree of autonomy and fun. 
this is not a Black History article. Just just write an article about Black hair. It just it doesn't have to be a part of some big thing. Let me see. What do they say here? Uh, they're talking about. I don't know. It just seems like a, a ad to do your hair. I'm not really seeing what makes this. Yeah, I just feel like we're it's we're too far. It's just 20 years too late, bro. Yeah. Uh, four out of the next five articles are blurred articles, including the one that I just um, discussed about black nerds. But when blackness is a superpower, from Falcon to Black Panther to a potential new Superman, a wave of rejuvenated heroes reimagined by black creators are rewriting superhero mythologies, and a lot of them are just like their their friends. How um, many of them niggas got articles complaining about the magical Negro trope? Yep, exactly. We have a magical Negro trope all day long, but then they're celebrating black superheroes. And again, it's just ads for most of their friends. Next one, a black. Your blackness is not a superpower, by the way. Just wanted to point that out. Blackness is black. Blackness in itself is not a superpower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, and again, it ties into what you just said about uh, are black people magical or not? You complain about magical Negroes, but then you write stories about uh, <laughs> blackness as a superpower and stuff. And a black Superman, it could happen. No, it happened and could happen again. As renewed rumors of a Black Superman movie swirl, here is a complicated history of imagining the most iconic comic hero as a Black man. What does it do Black History Month, really? And how is this tied into what, you know... Who the cares? Black book? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? Uh, Who cares? Who fucking cares? Flying While Black, two creators on inventing and reinventing Black superheroes. We asked Eve L. Ewing and Evan Narcisse to share perspectives on the politics of being a Black comic book writer and the Black superheroes you may have missed. And it's just them two talking about their new work for Marvel. It's just another of these people giving their friends uh, free promotion. It'll say it's just promo. And I think this is, uh, might be a New York Times promo. You know, they're trying to promo whatever these niggas got coming out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one is the Black Nerds Redefining the Culture article that we already... Um, described and then you know you know what's wild though i would actually be interested in some of this shit if they didn't frame it so fucking corny exactly and it was written by someone else because (laughs) they frame it badly and then they write it badly like yeah i would love something about uh black comic book creators and black superheroes but not written by these people Mm -hmm. you know at at all this one looks like an actual good one i didn't read it hopefully yeah i was looking at that but the black woman artist who crafted a life she was told she couldn't have. Again, I don't like the framing of they wouldn't let us do this. And, you know, uh, I don't like that part. But the woman herself looks pretty interesting. Augusta Savage. Yeah. And had a little crazy. video of her sculpting, which is kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the title I'm not crazy about, but writers don't always choose the title. The head, the head, the editors choose the headline. So I'm, I'm not going to hold it against it. But This is written by a, a black person or Afro-Latina, at least. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems it seems it, and I don't want to say anything bad about it because I haven't read it, and it might actually be it might actually be good. The next one, yeah, we talked about these niggas already. The black nerds redefining the culture. Yeah, uh, how can blackness construct America? Uh, and it's a discussion of some kind of exhibit. I don't know enough to at the MoMA. Yeah, I don't know enough to know if that's a good that's a good um, article. It looks or not. stupid, but it looks like. Yeah. But honestly, it looks dumb, but. It looks like one of those niche articles for people who are into art. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to diss it. It looks like it has a purpose, but just not for me because I don't know shit about art. Although I recently did a show about Black LA art history. But anyway, um, the fashion world promised more diversity. Here's what we found. Oh, my God. I hate it. I hate, I hate it. That too. I hate who it. Cares? I hate it. 
I Fashion hate this. has always been racist. It will be racist. Just, just shut up. That's just how it I'm, is. I'm just so sick of this shit. What did you think was going to happen when you niggas started begging these niggas for diversity? First of all, that was your first problem. Why you want racist-ass Vogue doing shit? Them niggas have motherfuckers in blackface. Yeah. Go to Vogue Italia, Vogue Espana, all that shit. They got blackface. They they make fun of niggas all day. But you want them to show to showcase your blackness. You want these. You want L magazine to represent you. You want Bizarre to represent. Fuck that shit. I don't give a fuck if they representing us or not because they're not us. Of course, and back and this is what my brother told me. He says you got to be careful. People act like something's revolutionary because I, I was watching um the Playboy uh, documentary, which is actually a really good documentary um docu series. And they do this whole thing where they kind of promote to try to make it out like this nigga Hugh Hefner was uh, a type of revolutionary. And in some ways he was in television in that he did allow black people on TV when he, he put black people major, on He was a major he, creep. He was a major... Oh, I can, it gets worse. Um, but he... So people try to act like he's some type of revolutionary because he had Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole on TV at a time when uh, the South didn't let black people on TV and they told him they weren't going to show his show and, and they're going to pull his show from their networks in the South and he put the black people on there anyway. He he gave Dick Gregory his start and a bunch of other, not start, but he gave Dick Gregory a regular show and other, Aretha Franklin, he think he brought her out before she was even famous. So they're saying like, oh, he, look at what he did. It was so great what he did for black people. I was even listening to a podcast with Nas and uh, it's a really good podcast he has with uh, Miss Info. And they were talking to Juicy J and they mentioned the Playboy Mansion and Nas even said, oh, yeah, yeah, Hefner, yeah, he, he really fucked with niggas. But something my brother told me, they don't really fuck with niggas if they get money off of you. You see what I'm saying? It's a business deal. When it mm-hmm. comes to business, they have zero problem including you because they know you're oh, yeah. going to bring them some money. That's not being with you. Being with you is when they losing money. <laughs> you know what I mean? These niggas is making money off of you. But they, no, you're not even gonna say they're not even just losing money. Even if they're just doing business with you at all, it's not, it's a business. It has nothing to do with them giving a fuck about you or your people. And it's the same thing with this magazine. So they start putting niggas on covers. Now what? I don't remember, it was, it was within the past five years or so, maybe a little, maybe within, definitely within the last 10 years, niggas was excited because I think it was Vogue or one of these other, mag- I don't remember the name of the magazines, whatever these magazines are. Um, they had Beyonce on the cover and a black photographer. It was the first time they had a black photographer shoot the cover. Like, did they just discover niggas with cameras? Why the fuck is this, <laughs> this an exciting thing to finally get a black person to shoot the cover? Because that's how people see success and achievement is if whether or not they're accepted into white spaces. Oh, we've achieved. We've accomplished things. Look, look at us now. We're on television. Whose networks are we on? Yeah. And, and it's like, if you want to talk about black fashion, you can talk about like, you know, histories of when like black people were excluded from mainstream fashion and all these different fashion houses and black. Like, for example, you could talk about something like Dapper Dan, where that dude, you know, mm-hmm. created his own kind of little fashion empire in the hood or something like that. Even well, a lot they- of these stylists and designers that were in hip hop culture in the 90s, you know, it was a lot of black yeah. women who were doing that shit and nobody talked. Why are we highlighting them? You give a fuck about Vogue because they put Zendaya on the fucking cover? Yeah, this is all they care about. All they care about is the white fashion magazines throwing a token cover here or there or letting a black photographer finally get it, get a shot. And it's like, it's such a boring way to discuss fashion. Like, but the thing I really don't like about it is Remember the start of the article when they described what this collection was going to be and they compared it to the Toni Morrison and Middleton A. Harris thing. But those people were, com- were compiling slave auction notices, sheet music for work songs and freedom chants, transcripts of trials for fugitive slaves, posters from Black Hollywood films in the 1930s and 40s, patents, 
from Black Inventors. And this stuff is just about, you know, um, just goofy niggas. It's just dumb shit. It, like, this, how are you going to say this is in the tradition of, of that? Like, fashion magazine covers here and there getting to forage you know, and fry some leaves and being a blurred. Like, it's it's so insulting, but it's also, like, I don't know how these people see themselves, but it's to explicitly evoke the memories of the Black book and then show people this dumb Black gardeners stuff and, you know, all this stuff. It's, I don't know how they can see themselves in the same breath as, you know, these other people. It's very bizarre to me. Yeah, um... The next article is how Negro History Week became Black History Month and why it matters now. On the surface, that seems okay. I'm sure they find a way to mess it up in the actual story, but it seems decent. It's a nice little history lesson. It at least ties in directly to Black History Month. So next is The Essential, Toni Morrison, uh, written by the same person. It seems inoffensive to me on the surface. You know, This is the one I want to end on. This one was really bad. By Imani Perry, who I've seen before write some fuck shit. So um, I already knew things would be up with this one. But this was the first in the series. And it's called Do We Ask Too Much of Black Heroes by Imani Perry. Every year for a month, we celebrate the the heroes of black history. And I bet you you can tell where this is going to go. But these stories can obscure how change happens and who gets left behind. And this is the first entry they chose in in this series and it was february 2021 it was actually january 29th 2021 but that's basically february 1st so it's black history month so their first entry in this series um is this piece and i bet you can guess what it's going to talk about basically it talks about how black women were left out of everything how black queer people did all this stuff but uh these black men hogged all this all the spotlight that's what they chose to make the first piece Mm -hmm. in this years long black history month uh all year round celebration you know it even talks about how black conservatives deserve more shine it's it's just a very weird weird thing yeah um brings a bayard rustin and marsha p johnson like the only two that they can ever mention for whatever reason yeah, um, it says here the decision to choose leaderless or leaderful models is the refutation of the ideal of the traditional hero. Marshall, this is the traditional hero, martial, dominant, and authoritarian in style, if not substance. It also recognizes the ways in which so many important figures have been excluded from being cast as heroes because they don't fit the standard image, whether because of queerness, gender nonconformity, femininity, or mental or physical disability. The practice of overlooking these heroic people is iconic is ironic given that navigating disadvantage often requires heroic labors. And although a few outsiders make it into the annals, generally it is only if they are seen as quote transcending unquote their very human qualities. So it's basically an all Black Lives Matter uh, article and you know queer people, gender nonconforming people Fem, uh, femininity, like I guess women and and disabled people, but it doesn't even give a full fledged list of these people who've been. They bring up Fannie Lou Hamer, who, as far as I know, is not ignored. They talk about Fannie Lou Hamer all the time, and yeah. the only two gay people that she knows are the ones that all white people know, which is Marsha P. Johnson and 
Bayard Rustin. Like they're not exactly deep cuts that she's, you know. Yeah. And, there, and there's a lot more gay people in in uh black history than that. But that's uh as usual, they don't actually want to do any work or research because really this article is more about celebrating the real gay people that they're mad are not getting enough shine, even though they're getting all the shine, is the Black Lives Matter crowd. And this is really a promotion for Black Lives Matter and their current movement because we should talk about leaderless movements and, you know, all that stuff. They're really talking about themselves because there's a paragraph here. Um, Heroes, as historians and activists have noted for generations, are often made mythic in ways that are troubling. Social change is never wrought by individuals. Movement is a collective endeavor, and the romantic ideal of, of the hero obscures the truth. Recent social movements like the Movement for Black Lives have been deliberate and about describing themselves as leaderless or leaderful uh, in order to emphasize the importance of collective organizing while rejecting the model of the charismatic male leader. And this is where it gets good. Quote, we're not following an individual, right? This is a leader full movement. Patrice Cullors, a co-founder of Black Lives Matter Global Network, told NPR in 2015. So yeah, basically this is about them promoting themselves. And this ages really badly because one year later, look at Patrice Cullors now. So this is their yeah. founding inaugural piece. Basically, Black movements have always been sexist, homophobic, and anti-disability, which again... I don't understand. That's Harry a new Tubman, one. Harriet Tubman was disabled. That's a new one. It's not. A, I mean, this is a thing. I'm sure a few of them are, and we, we may or may not even know what all their disabilities are. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, we all we also don't know the sexuality of everybody. You know, yeah. they like to put labels on people. Like I even remember I was reading something, and uh, a friend of mine was basically saying when he read the same thing, he was like, "I don't understand this because how are they? How do they know which black men are straight and which ones are queer?" Like, how do they know? Because they're but, just assuming. Well, I'll say and, something else. I'll say, go ahead. But, but that's, the, that's that assumption even. It's like, you know, well, we're telling these stories and it's only honoring these people, but you don't know what those people are. You don't know anything about them, but you're making these assumptions and now you're trying to say they were excluded, but you don't even know that. But and, go ahead. And something else too, right? Um, look who they leave out. And these are people who are well known to be gay, but they leave out, um, they leave out people like James Baldwin, because James Baldwin is celebrated in black circles nonstop. And right. they leave out Langston Hughes, who everybody knew was gay, but he is uh, renowned in the black community. So it's like, by leaving them out, very important context, because if they're really excluding anybody who's gay, why are those two so celebrated? Prominent. You know, yep. and, and prominent. And, and you know, there's, there's other people who are well-known to be gay uh, as entertainers, like Mamas Mabley and like other people, Luther Vandross. If, if you want to get Rainey, out of like movement work. Bessie Smith. Yeah, th- there's a ton. And the reason why is because it ruins the the narrative that they're trying to make up. But but the reason why a lot of people didn't like Bayard Rustin wasn't because he was gay. I'm sure some people didn't like him because he was gay, but the guy, would, they, people didn't trust him. And it turned out to be true because he ended up being an informant. And some people thought he was trying to water down the civil rights message. Marsha P. Johnson was from Stonewall. She was, and I get um, celebrating her as a gay icon, but she wasn't really out there, like, as far as I know, in the general Black struggle like that. So a lot of people just naturally don't really talk about her like that when they're talking about the Black struggle. Like, she was um, fighting for something, but as far as I know, she wasn't in the mainstream civil rights um, Black struggle. So for them to kind of conflate her into... The black struggle when as far as i know she was not really 
out there just, you know, fighting with uh, pro-black organizations and, and whatever. And they try to, they try to, to lie and say like people are gatekeeping her and saying that she wasn't black. No one ever said Marsha P. Johnson wasn't black. Yeah, no one said anything I've, bad I've never about heard her, that. She mostly fought for gay for gay rights. So of course, when you talk about black movements, you're not going to talk about a gay rights movement leader because it's a. Uh, I mean, to me, you should be more mad at the white gay groups because they're the ones who are complaining about. I'm not complaining. They're the ones who are celebrating gay rights people and they always leave her out they did a stonewall movie when it made all the original drag queens white like mm. and what marsha p johnson did was directly applicable to their their movement but they, when people don't bring up marsha p johnson in black struggle narratives it's because her activism wasn't part of the general black struggle her right. she was mainly a, a gay rights a gay rights activist and so like those two people that they bring up all the time over and over are questionable because they have valid reasons for not being brought up. One, because they were mainly a gay rights activist, not a black activist. And Bayard Rustin, a lot of people just didn't like his organizing style. And it, and it turned out he really was uh, an agent. And again, if you could point to James Baldwin, who was allowed to be included in everything, despite everybody knowing he was black and uh, Langston Hughes, who was um, celebrated despite people knowing that he was gay. Like, it doesn't really make any sense, but you kind of need this narrative to exist if you're going to promote your own current kind of gay group. That's and, kind of the point is to yeah, promote a new narrative to change the conversation because then you can to go promote themselves to promote themselves, but also for, but that's how it benefits them. My, but th- remember, this is in the New York Times. So this has to help white people in some kind of way. You yep. get what I'm saying? Yep. So th- there's a goal here. You have to say that you have to kind of create this sort of infighting. You have to create this sort of other narrative that black people, for example, it always comes off like black people are the most homophobic. We excluded it, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, we don't have any control over any policies, <laughs> right? Nope. Um, that actually impact people's lives, right? Um, yeah, I'm just sort of over the whole conversation and how we're changing narratives and blackness. Because what's happening is it's a way of them trying to other themselves from black people, which just to me creates further division. Like we can definitely address issues in our community. Nobody's saying that we can't, you know, but you can't just address those things without looking at the bigger picture of what's impacting those things. What's what's creating those things? What's what's you know, what are the policies? What are what are the what's the history of what we've been experiencing that create those things? Um, and a lot of people ahead. take everything as all or nothing. So if you're saying that, hey, homophobia um wasn't the reason for this stuff you're describing or it's not as rampant and endemic as you're saying then was, then they turn it to you oh so you're saying homophobia doesn't exist in the black community and no one's saying that nobody's like, saying that like Ralph ellison and um and albert murray and elders cleaver have all been known just said homophobic things about uh james baldwin it wasn't like nobody was homophobic i mean there was homophobic things said in you know, mentioned about James Baldwin or Langston Hughes, but you can find that about, you know, um, man, in that entire anything. time period, that was like the common, like it wasn't, and I don't let's say that it's okay, but you have to remember, like it wasn't because black people were so exclusively homophobic. That was the conversation of the time. Yeah. You know, and also um, there were a ton of um, notable black people, notable black events that censored those same people as well. You know what I mean? Also, I don't believe in anything that separates black people from black people. Like I don't, like you're not my ally because you're a woman, you know, um, you're not my ally because you're queer or whatever. Right. I just feel like 
you're 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 trying to what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost disempowering to black people as a group because you're trying to align yourself with somebody else's movement or some other space. I don't I'm not a woman's rights activist in the sense that I, I'm for all women. I'm for black women. I'm for oppressed women. I'm for poor women. But I'm not out here like, oh, these rich white women who are whining on TV are my allies. And we have to talk about this as women. Hillary Clinton is oppressed. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. She's landing her right? pockets with like money from all types of things, but she's that, oppressed. And that doesn't mean, because I remember I got into a conversation with um, actually my boss and she's really dope, a really dope person. But we were talking about um, the article uh, black people, black men, straight black men being the white people of black people. And then I said, uh, she said something about, um, well, I guess people are trying to make the argument that black, there are black men who abuse black women. I say, but you have black women that abuse children. You have gay people that abuse each other. So you can't make that argument. None of us have any power to create any policies to control that. And she agreed with. Um, but one thing she told me, and I thought was really good, because I was upset about the Jamila Lemieux article. But it was something that she told me that stuck with me. And she said, you're in media now. You have to think like a media person. And I said, what do you mean by that? She said, yeah, the article was stupid. Um, it didn't have any facts. It wasn't full of principles or anything like that. But you have to look at it as an opportunity. She said, because now they give you a reason to counter it. Because before, if you just start countering shit, you're like, what for even tomorrow? Nobody's saying that. What are you even talking about? But now somebody said it out loud. And now we can actually address the racism that black men and black males face. Whereas before, not saying her article specifically, but in general, you know, people aren't saying those stupid things. We don't even have opportunity to really counter it because then people are going to ignore it anyway. So now you have the opportunity to counter it. And I never thought about it like that. It was like, OK, so, yeah, her article was stupid. But now this is an opportunity for like champagne sharks or whoever else to actually talk about um, the facts, because before people are going to be looking at you like nobody's saying that shit. You just making some shit up. Nobody's saying black men are this. Nobody's saying that. But they saying it. So now we can now we can talk about it, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to look at things more so like that. Like, OK, they, these corny ass nerds are saying stupid shit. OK, but this gives champagne sharks an opportunity to counter it. This gives champagne sharks an opportunity. I'll say champagne sharks, but I mean, black, you know, other black people who want some real shit. You know, it gives, it gives us an opportunity to really counter that shit because they're bringing up shit to the surface that people are mumbling about in, in their little circles. And now we can go head on and, and, and attack it. And I think the way you ended it was perfect anywhere. I don't want to add anything to that. That was a For very, sure. very nice ending. So <laughs> this, <laughs> I know we gave them enough content. Yeah, Shout exactly. out to y'all. That's how yeah. you know we, we care. We give y'all all this content. So you'll be at work bored as fuck. And then you turn <laughs> us on and now you're feeling good. Got, got, you feel fired up. You're going to hit us up in Discord. All that good shit. Yeah. And if you get fired, don't blame us either. Uh, oh, definitely keep, not my fault. Keep working while you're listening and bored. <laughs> and don't and put your headphones on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, thank you, Rita. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody right. out there, be good. All right. <laughs>